to the Dildorks Dorky Discourse on Sex, Dating, and Masturbating. My name is Kate Sloan. I'm a sex journalist, a sex blogger, and as a result of those two things, I often have trouble uh, setting boundaries in my professional life. And uh, one time a client told me that he uh, secretly only tried to work with me because he was hoping that I would fall for him. I remember that! Yeah, pretty fucked up, right? The funniest thing about this was that... Okay, I probably shouldn't be trash talking this guy, but honestly, the boundary crossing was so intense that I feel like it's okay. But he wanted me to edit a essay of his that he was considering, uh, like having published in some kind of publication, and it was just like a very like toxic masculinity, like masculinity so fragile type of essay, and I was like, you know, appropriately harsh in the editing. And then he just started sending me like two a.m. DMs, like, "Are you mad at me? Did you hate my essay?" And I was like uh no dude but like can you email me and like during work hours uh and he was just like he's like i'm a little tipsy sorry uh and then a few minutes later he's like i just really thought you were gonna fall for me from across the world and i was like this is what you sent this essay is what you sent to me hoping that i would fall in love with you okay uh anyway i i love when people (laughs) say things that tell them way more about you than they think it does Mm -hmm. you're just like this is a very different message you have sent me than you (laughs) believe you communicated clearly Uh, okay it's just a window into your darkest heart (laughs) yeah who are you friend (laughs) i'm vex and got so invested in that story i forgot we were still in the introduction (laughs) (laughs) honestly i'm proud of myself for remembering what the episode topic is it's been a long day y'all something something boundaries i don't know yeah it's really hard to keep things in the old noggin these days uh, but yes, we're back to answer listener questions about boundaries. Um, shout out to the person on Instagram who informed me correctly that last week I had titled the episode something that I'd already titled an episode many, <laughs> many episodes ago. Uh, as I wrote it, I was like, leaps and boundaries. That's a boundaries related pun. That'll work. Why does it seem familiar? I don't know. Maybe I've thought of it before. No idea. Turns out it's definitely the name of an episode. Um, so I, I changed it to the fuck stops here. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah. Difficulty breeds innovation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ooh. All right. So the first question I have, uh, kind of like the flip side of a lot of the questions we were answering last week, how can I deal if I'm the only one who sets boundaries in my relationship and my partner never does, even when they need to? so that's a tough one um and so a couple of things come to mind here right um first of all i think it's important to make sure that your partner can feel safe uh creating those boundaries that you've created an environment that is comfortable that they have set boundaries about small things and you accept them well, right? We talked about a lot of this last week. Mm -hmm. Um, But that you've just kind of created an environment and a culture within your relationship that creates space for that. Because if Mm -hmm. they're not, if, if they're not stating boundaries, there could be a lot of reasons. But I think the first thing to check is to make sure it's not a function of the way you behave when they do set boundaries. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I, I, 
obviously, I think the second thing there is communication, right? And, uh, you know, actively soliciting for them to, um, you know, maybe asking open-ended questions, right, about what do you feel comfortable with in these situations, right? Giving them opportunities and kind of setting them up to set a boundary, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Starting the conversation, because that can be a huge leap for a lot of people. Um, And then, I mean, at the end of the day, you can bring a horse to water, right? Um, (laughs) If they are continually not, you know, are, are not engaging with the process and are not expressing an interest to learn and to want to better set boundaries and it feels like they're yesing you to death, um, <laughs> then you have to decide if you're comfy being in a relationship with someone who has such flexible boundaries. Um, a, a, a big rule of thumb for me, like, I hate being the person giving advice, being like, well, break up! Um, <laughs> <laughs> Dump the motherfucker already. <laughs> exactly. Um However, I think a good rule of thumb is that most things can be overcome in the relationship if you are both working towards the same goal with roughly the same amount of effort, mm-hmm. right? I'm willing to put up with a lot of shit if I believe both of those things are true of my partner, that we both want the same, like, our definition of success in this relationship is the same, and mm-hmm. we're both invested in getting there. Um, and if that doesn't feel true, if it doesn't feel like they're wanting to get better at putting up boundaries, then that's, I think, a different conversation. I love that we're just diving into the really deep shit right away. Like, yes. this is so important, you might end your relationship over it, just saying. <laughs> Um, yeah, I feel similarly, I think it has a lot to do with the culture of the relationship, although it also can have a lot to do with the particular person's past history of trauma. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of us have trauma around like trying to set a boundary and having it not be respected or having it even be ridiculed. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it, it can even be like unrecognized as trauma um, because, you know, there are certain situations that, that sort of blind us to the, the, the harmfulness of that. Mm-hmm. But um Something my, my partner says to me often, like, if I'm scared to bring something up that I want to change in our relationship, they'll often say, like, well, we want to be in this relationship for a long time. So it's really important that we, like, work out the kinks as they come up. And that's, like, a joint project that the two of us are working on. Us against the problem, like our friend Joelle mm-hmm. and Nadi says about depression. But it's it's true for everything. The, the thing should always be you two against the problem or, or however many are in the relationship uh, as opposed to against each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think emphasizing that on a regular basis can be really helpful. I also think having like a regular scheduled check-in can be really helpful for this because like if hard-pressed to think about a boundary that would be helpful to set, you often will come up with them more easily and and voice them more easily. Mm-hmm. Um, but also as the partner of this person, like if you're noticing that like you did something and they're not saying that it pissed them off or they're acting really pissy, uh, I would like probably wait you know, a day or two for the pissiness to pass, uh, just knowing me, because, like, mm-hmm. I I don't know, I often, like, recede into my anger cave when this happens and, like, don't want to talk about it. I'm like, I'm not angry. What are you talking about? I'm so not angry. <laughs> um, but uh, if you, like, wait a little bit and you're like, hey, so I noticed that this thing, like, maybe kind of pissed you off or made you sad. That's how it seemed to me. I may have been misreading it. But, mm-hmm. like, I would love to not make you sad or angry. So let's talk about that. Um 
it can be a little bit difficult to be proactive on these things because obviously you can't really tell for sure how someone else is feeling. But when you're in a close relationship, like, you know, you can sense things sometimes. Um, Right. I think something else that can be helpful um, for the person who is having a hard time setting boundaries in this situation um, is kind of recontextualizing the ways we think about boundaries as less of like, I think we often look at them as a choice. Like these are the things I'm choosing. I don't want to deal with, or these are the things I have decided are important to me. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm, of course, there is an element of truth to that, right? Um, and at the same time, I find a lot of my boundaries are, I get angry and am not a person I like being when these things happen. These things bring up intense feelings for me. And like, a lot of my boundaries are just like, hey, here are ways to make help me feel better around this, right? It's not like the boundary gets crossed and I'm like, you have walked across this arbitrary rule I made, and in response, I will be angry. It's like, no. Thou shall not pass. (laughs) Right. It's more like a no trespassing sign outside the area that's like just a warning. When you tread around this area, sometimes I have feelings. (laughs) (laughs) And when I'm having feelings... I don't always manage them the best in the moment, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's true of everyone. And I think a lot of boundaries are just like, I don't know, it can be easier to view them as a user manual of like, this is a thing I learned about my brain. Let me share that information with you rather Mm -hmm. than here is a rule I have created about engaging with me. Uh, Let me give it to you so that you know never to fuck up in the future. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also, like, I I hate this kind of, like, straight person culture thing of, like, you're supposed to sense when the person you're dating is upset by something and just sort of tiptoe around that forever afterward. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think that that's a good approach. I think if you sense that someone's pissed off, you should talk to them about the fact that they're pissed off. But also, as I said, like, just don't expect them to necessarily be the most articulate about it while they're still actively pissed off. I know that, like, I'm not in a good place to discuss those things at that point. Yeah, half Um, the time I don't know the answers. Half the time I am (laughs) feeling all of the feelings and I'm like, and like, I've had times not even around annoyance. Like, I've had times with my partner where I was just really overstimmed and overwhelmed and had done way too much. Mm -hmm. And they were like, hey, daddy, are you overstimmed? I'm like, no, I'm not overstimmed. (laughs) I I don't feel good. It's fine. (laughs) Are you you sure? (laughs) No, it's fine. (laughs) Well, I think like part of the skill set is like developing the skills to be aware of your own emotions and aware of what triggers them and able to articulate that like in your own head as well as to other people. And like as sex nerds and communication nerds, I think we like sometimes forget that like not everybody does that on a regular basis because our culture doesn't really encourage people to do that. Um, So I think what you're saying about like creating a culture within the relationship is really important because if you create a culture where you are examining your emotions, you are unpacking your shit and demonstrating that it can make it easier for the other person to do that too. Yeah, absolutely. 
This question is very, very relevant to my life. Um, how can I get someone to stop making sarcastic comments slash quote-unquote good-natured ribbing when uh, I don't like being teased? And um, this is the thing that I went through with, like, a couple of friends. It's, it's weird how, like, in mainstream culture, like, being teased and, like, you know, making sarcastic comments at the expense of your friends is often painted as, like, just a natural part of friendship. And I get that, like, for some people that is almost a love language, like, for some people that is very affectionate, it is just a natural part of how they relate to their friends. But I've had a couple of friendships where this was, like, a very constant feature, and it made me feel shitty every single time. And I was like, I, I, I didn't really know how to deal with it because... I could see that these people saw it as just, well, we're friends, so we can joke about this stuff. And it was almost like a function of our closeness in their mind. But to me, it made me feel farther away from them. So I think, like, you know, stating that can can help. Um, because uh, some people, if you just tell them, hey, you think that that feels good for me and it doesn't, it upsets me. Like, some people are just going to be like, oh, okay, I just won't do that anymore. Um, mm-hmm. But... Uh, <sighs> What else do I have to say on that? I don't know. If your friend is, like, continuing to be shitty to you after you've asked them not to, I just don't know if they're that good of a friend. I think you deserve better friends. Yeah, I think that's a hard one. I think you're right in that, like, the easiest and the clearest way is to just be like, dude, like, don't. Like, <laughs> it, <laughs> it's it, it, it's not fun. It doesn't feel good. Um, mm-hmm. I Like, I would hope that cuz i i do understand that you know it if the person is saying things and laughing sometimes your first instinct is to just laugh along right mm-hmm. because that's just what's happening um so the first step might even be if sitting them down and being like listen y- you being mean to me is just mean to me it's not like <laughs> funny and playful right mm-hmm. um if sitting them down and having that conversation feels like a lot like the first step might even just be not laughing, right? Mm-hmm. Just sitting in that and be like, wow, thanks, I guess. Like, just like genuinely like being like, wow, that sucked. Like, that hurt, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 when this would happen to me, I used to just sometimes be like, wow, that was hurtful. And just like, let the moment be awkward. Just let yeah. us hang out in that awkward moment. <laughs> sometimes that's how you got to kind of, I mean, I'm not a big fan of like, teaching people a lesson like i think that that's usually pretty passive aggressive but there are some people who honestly just like will not respond to being verbally directed to do something and have to kind of experience it in a more visceral way before they will like get it right and i think i that is a trait i tend to see that kind of like i don't know almost bickery um kind of banter is something i tend to see with very like blunt people too Mm -hmm. so like sometimes just deadpan staring back at them like i don't know it can speak their language i guess in Mm -hmm. a way like you know it it (laughs) communicates the way they're communicating with you um so you can just take that environment and be like like wow that was mean like that was rude (laughs) i didn't Um, like that (laughs) or you know if you see them doing it to other people Mm -hmm. you can be like wow like do you think they felt okay about that? Or you see someone having that like rapport on TV and being like, wow, I hate when people are shitty to their friends like that. 
Yeah. Right? Like, a lot of this can, like, read as You just did a side-eye mime. The, the side-eye that you just gave after that example did not translate to the podcast, and it was just for me, and I really loved it. It was the eyes emoji personified. <laughs> it really was. Um, but, yeah, like, there can, like, I... I'm not advocating, like, constant passive aggression until they get it, right? But there, you know, there are, you can wade into the conversation and see if sometimes they'll pick up on it, right? Again, we were talking about these close relationships. People can be attuned to each other. And mm-hmm. you can use, or use, you know, you see someone have that rapport on a uh, on a show and say, like, wow, I don't love that. Like, I don't love that dynamic. Sometimes you do that, and it, like, makes me feel kind of shitty, actually, right? Like, you can bring it up because, hey, I saw a thing, rather than it's happening in this moment. I love that. You're, like, watching Riverdale, and then suddenly you're having a very heavy (laughs) friendship conversation. So it works for me. (laughs) I also think this is a great moment for something we were talking about last episode, which is, like, the next day text, or the, like, later Mm -hmm. that day text, Um, because... I assume as the person asking this question, maybe your issue is that you have trouble speaking up in the moment, which was definitely my issue when I've been struggling with this. And the next day text is a great way to do that. Um, It can feel a little bit like I'm making a big deal out of something that does not need to be a big deal. But please just remind yourself that if this is a person that you want to have as a close relationship in your life of any kind, like they should be willing to believe you when you say something is a big deal to you and if they're belittling you that's like kind of an abusive tactic like it's it's not great it's it's not uh it's it's kind of a red flag i would say and like i think another thing worth addressing here is something we talk about a lot obviously but um it can also be helpful to kind of get into the nuance here of the kind of like ribbing and teasing that is uncomfortable because Mm. if this is like this person's rapport like i have like teasing bantery relationships with some of the people in my life right i have things that i know i can tease people about and Mm -hmm. things that like they also make self-deprecating jokes about um and that sort of thing but so if if the conversation could be like hey, I don't like when you make comments about my appearance. Like, mm-hmm. that can be a lot more helpful than, like, don't tease me and be mean to me. Because that if it's someone whose, like, whole personality is that, which I suppose exists, um, they, <laughs> they're going to feel does. a little bit... Well, I, uh, <laughs> they're going to feel a little bit in a bind, though, right? Yeah. Um, so they're going to be like, how can I communicate? <laughs> right like if you say like when you talk to me it's always it's you're always mean to me and i feel sad (laughs) for someone who communicates that way with a lot of their relationships that's not gonna be helpful Mm -hmm. um even if they do want to be better right even if because people don't like develop this conversational style in a vacuum right i don't (laughs) know if you've been to their house but i wonder how their family talks to them um (laughs) So like, <laughs> so, like, consider um, if you can be a little more precise in the conversation to be like, wow, like, it, oof, it hurts when you <laughs> tease me about that shit. But, like, mm-hmm. tease me about my video game preferences, fine. You play shit games, too. Whatever. Right? Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good compromise. 
This person says, how can I express boundaries without seeming angry? And uh, this, I feel, is a good moment for one of our favorite things, meta-communication. Because, mm-hmm. um, like, when I'm going into a conversation that I know is going to make me seem or be angry or sad or flustered or whatever, um, if I feel able to, I'll often like to say, I feel like I'm going to get angry when I talk about this. And I just want you to know that, like... Um, I'm not trying to do that, and even though I seem emotional, the things I'm saying are still true. Like, I've been thinking mm-hmm. about them for long enough to know that they are true. Um, but another thing you could do is, like, not have these conversations in person. Like, have mm-hmm. them in a text medium where your anger, like, might not necessarily come through. It can be a little difficult to rein in even, like, an angry tone via text sometimes if you're very much in the heat of that emotion. But mm-hmm. I do think it is a little bit easier, especially if you, like, really force yourself to look at that text before you send it. Yeah. So part of me does want to take a step back and uh, talk about why you don't want to seem angry. Because sometimes... Yeah. You can be angry when you're asserting a boundary. Like, I recognize that this that is not always how we want to be, and, and we can get into that. Um, and I think you're right about that. But I, I don't know that you always need to not be angry when you're asserting a boundary. I think, like we were talking about earlier, anger is a feeling that means something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my stomach growls when I am hungry. I get angry... Oftentimes, when I feel like a boundary has been violated, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Or when I don't feel safe, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But I think anger is sometimes a product of these conversations. I think it is a sign that these are things that are important to us and things that we are passionate about. And I think the way we express our anger and the way we manage our anger and uh, how we treat other people when we are angry all matter a lot Mm -hmm. but just purely not coming across as angry is something that we just tell primarily folks socialized as women um and especially black folks and people of color just baseline that they cannot do or cannot be Mm -hmm. um and like recognize that sometimes you can just be fucking angry um (laughs) Yeah. Um, But at the same time, uh, in situations where uh, anger is just the product of what is happening, I I think the meta-communication like you were talking about can be really valuable. And I've often contextualized it that way of like, huh, found out this thing makes me angry. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about what made me angry about it and like how I am feeling this feeling right now. This is, this anger is happening to both of us right now. (laughs) Let's talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think this is very much a situation of like your emotions are valid, but the behaviors that come from them are not necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, I definitely feel this as a person who is like actively triggered by people yelling, especially men yelling because of childhood trauma around that fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that for me, like one of my boundaries is don't fucking yell at me. I don't actually care how angry you are or how animated you are in any other emotion. If you yell at me, 
probably the conversation is over and maybe the relationship's not in a good spot and might end like for serious like it's it's Mm -hmm. not good i don't want to be in a relationship with someone who is actively traumatizing me especially in a way that like they know is actively traumatizing me Mm -hmm. um so i like i i agree with you the anger is valid i also think uncontrolled anger not a good look and not probably Mm -hmm. what you want to be unleashing on someone you care about. Um, So I think a good way to deal with this is like, if you feel those emotions coming up and you feel that you're about to do something you regret, even though it does feel very satisfying sometimes to just like, you know, go full speed ahead with that emotion, you know, let your higher faculties come in a little bit and go, I'm feeling very emotionally keyed up. I need to step away from this conversation. Um, Go for a walk, go hang out in a different room take as long as you need i think it's helpful if you can tell the person ahead of time like maybe how much time you would like mm-hmm. and uh err on the side of more rather than less because you don't really know how long it's going to take to cool down um but yeah i do i don't think that like coming to this type of conversation from an actively angry place is always the best place to be i think for me like when a boundary gets stepped over and i get angry often i like stew in that sensation for an hour or two and think through the reasons i'm angry and then by the time i return to the conversation i'm able to say that in a way that's a little more coherent and not shitty to the person i'm talking to yeah absolutely i'm not like (laughs) I I also think there is a distinction to be made between, like, anger and acute rage. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, feelings you're feeling very, like, I tend to think of anger as a feeling that I can, can be maintained, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. Can be had in the difference between, like, sadness and despair, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I can be angry in a business meeting and still maintain (laughs) a business meeting. Yeah. I do it regularly. <laughs> yeah, some people cannot though, which is very rough. true. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, I have a question that's kind of about demisexuality. Hello, it me. Uh, this person is wondering how can I express the boundary that I want to establish intimacy prior to sex. And uh, we did do an episode about demisexuality, which I think you'll find very relevant. Um, it's called protracted attraction. Uh, So go check that out. I offer a lot of strategies in that, including my favorite one, which is like going on lunch dates instead of (laughs) dinner or drink dates, because there's just an implicit assumption we're probably not going to fuck in the middle of the day. Um, So that's kind of like a backhanded way of getting at it. But my approach to this, since I've known that this is a thing that I need, is being super, super upfront repeatedly about it. So in my bio on my dating sites, it says, like, I'm not really that into hookups. I'm more into, like, dating. Like, I need to, like, get to know people before I want to have sex with them. And then I'll find a way to reiterate that um, when I'm talking to someone. Uh, and then another thing I like to do is, like, when setting up a date that I sense the other person might think will lead to sex, uh, I might be like hey so like I have a early morning the next day or I uh I think like I'm down to hang out and like have drinks for a couple of hours and then I'm gonna want to go home and sleep like you don't have to directly say I'm not going to fuck you tonight but (laughs) you can state it in a way that's very matter of fact and very based in logistics and uh like maybe the person will be shitty about that but I think most people will not because that would be super impolite to be like you want to go to bed early but I wanted to fuck you (laughs) (laughs) how dare you yeah (laughs) Um, 
It happens. I know, but you said that, and I, my brain just, like, fast-forwarded to this weekend with my partner and me just sitting in the living room. You want to go to bed! <laughs> <laughs> just flailing on the floor like a toddler. But I wanted! Anyway. <laughs> um, it's just very visceral imagery. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I love using, like, practicality to um, kind of be like, just the logistics just do not allow sex for you tonight, I guess. It's just a fact of the reality of the world we're both working in. Mm -hmm. Um, Like when I worked retail and I was like, nope, corporate policy, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Higher powers than me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Uh, so I love that. I do also think, um, the way this person, uh, they, they say they need to establish intimacy before sex. And that's like, I don't know, that can mean a lot of things, right? Mm -hmm. Um, if for you, that means more than I would say, I don't know, two or three dates, um, it might be worth contextualizing it and not necessarily as i'm not going to fuck you for exactly six dates because those are my rules right (laughs) um but it can be telling a story about when you learned this about yourself um Mm -hmm. or like telling a story about a time someone was shitty to you about this I love telling examples of how not to act. Be like, this <laughs> asshole did this. And they're like, ah, did I'm going to not. Great. Good to know. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a reverse psychology move. And it's very powerful. And it works even on me, even though I've heard you recommend this before. Like, I've definitely <laughs> noticed myself being like, well, I would never be like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it can be helpful I love disclosing things that I worry someone else is going to be stressed about. Um, I don't want to say entirely, like, as if it doesn't impact them, because there are some situations where that's shitty advice. Um, Mm -hmm. But if it is a thing about me and about the way I engage with the world and the things I want to do in the world... I don't have to immediately put them in that situation. I can, like we're talking about, boundaries relate to us, right? So I can describe me and how I move through the world, and they can take that as extra information that they can put in their like little knowledge bank for what they know about me and how they want to engage with me. Um, and I think if you are a person who is going to wait more than... Well, I don't know. I'm a slut and I hang out with sluts, right? But uh, (laughs) for me, I think if I went on three dates with someone and we weren't at least, like, on the path towards sexy times, I would start to be like, did did I fuck up? Is something wrong? Do they like me? Is this going anywhere? Like, Mm -hmm. and that's just because that's how my dating life works, right? I fuck on the first date almost exclusively. So I would be like, (laughs) what is happening? Why? (laughs) Um, So I think just, like, I don't know, giving them some context to not assume that they are the weird anomaly that has ruined something can be helpful. Yeah. 
I think that's all good advice. Uh, another thing that I found helpful, I don't know if this is the case for you, listener who asked this, but for me, the reason I like to establish intimacy prior to sex is because it creates sexual attraction for me. Like, that's what demisexuality is. Um, if I don't have that, I'm literally not attracted to the person I'm having sex with. And I think most people, if they knew that, would want you to be attracted to them, right? Like, having sex with someone who's not sexually attracted to you, definitely workable, um, probably not most allosexual people's favorite thing or ideal thing mm -hmm. um so i mean if you can find a way to indirectly bring that up like you were just saying about like bring it up in a story or bring it up in relation to something else um i think that expressing that is helpful i think also like in a certain type of person it creates this like excitement of like oh like i'm gonna figure out how to like not like make you attractive to me but like i'm gonna figure out how to do this in a way that works for you some people are very kind of like game minded like they make it into like a fun challenge in their head which i always find uh fun to observe and um yeah i think make like orienting it to be about attraction can be helpful because for some people they think it's just some sort of like arbitrary line that you're drawing in the sand of like just for moral reasons or whatever like i refuse to have sex until we've had at least three hours worth of conversation and it's like it's it's not like that for all of us sometimes it's like genuinely i have no desire to fuck you until i've had three hours of conversation with you right you it, it also might be helpful um if you especially if you are a person who dates like in the cishet scene um where they are very much I don't know how they do things over there. Um, I love the idea that it's a scene. That's so funny to me. Uh, they're, I, you know, I, I try and understand their culture, but... The cishet community. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, uh, I joke, but people who are mostly used to the, like, typical relationship escalator, right? People who are not used to thinking critically about their relationships and how they work... Um, mm -hmm. it might even be helpful, um, to say things like, um, you know, what it will look like when you start being ready for doing some things, right? Or like, um, you know, is it a matter of, I'm gonna feel... I'm not really going to be attracted to you. And then when I'm attracted to you and when I hit this point where, like, I feel like we have developed this closeness and, and this is a thing that I want to do, I'm going to be down to do most of the things I am into doing, right? Mm -hmm. Or is it, like, oh, I'm, like, down for makeouts on the first night and, like, maybe blowjobs after a couple of weeks, but, like, PIV feels really intimate to me and that is a thing that I am going to hold off for a long time, mm -hmm. right? Because... You know, it takes me a while to have sex with someone. Could easily look either of those ways. Mm -hmm. um, so also just kind of, I don't know, explaining the path ahead rather than just being like, sometimes it takes me a long time to have sex. Anyway, deuces. <laughs> and them just being like, uh, six hours or six years? I don't... Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, that's also a place where telling stories from the past can be helpful, like mm -hmm. as some kind of timeline. Like I remember I dated this guy at one point and when, on our first date, I was like, you know, I'm really trying to take things slow these days, let attraction simmer, you know how it goes. And then 
six days later, we had sex. And for me, like, because we had hung out, I think, two or three times within that six days, I I was, like, fine with that. Like, we had hit my threshold, my demisexuality right. threshold, because there were long hangouts and we'd been talking in between via text. So, like, for me, that was where it was at. But you're totally right. It's very variable and giving the person some idea can be helpful, if you know. Right. And, like, in the people we hang out with, even not in your own, like, dating history, just, like, in our communities, like, three dates over six days, we're like, shit, did you get the U-Haul? Like, are we, like, <laughs> like we're like, y'all are, y'all are good. Have you scheduled your orgy yet? Like, <laughs> so, I, sorry, it varies. No. <laughs> yeah, it does. What happened in that situation was we went on two dates and then, like, a, a couple days later, we were texting and it got a little sexy. And I just, it was like a bell rang over my head. I just realized the threshold had been reached. And I was like, hey, um, I kind of want to fuck you right now. Do you want to come over? And he was like, I'll be right there. <laughs> <laughs> Good, correct. <laughs> this is not so much an advice question as a curiosity question. Uh, this listener is wondering, have you ever set a boundary that went horribly wrong? <laughs> I gotta think about this one yeah because see the thing is most of the times it goes horribly wrong are the times when i don't set the boundary hmm it goes horribly wrong because you didn't set it yeah yeah are times when i went mm, i don't know how i feel about this mm, i'm gonna be okay with it and then it goes horribly wrong and i'm like <laughs> you know what that should have been boundary uh <laughs> Yeah, to me, horribly wrong with regards to boundary setting is when I set it and the person either, like, completely ignores it or is like, well, I think you're wrong about that because of these reasons. Um, and I know that last week we talked a little bit about, like, gently challenging people's boundaries when you think that they come from a not super healthy place or when they're, like, mm -hmm. too restrictive on you. Um, but I have had partners be like, well, that to me sounds like you're just being too needy or too particular. And so I'm just going to disregard it. Um, and at that point, it's up to me to decide, am I cool with that? How cool with that am I? <laughs> and what am I going to do about it? Yeah, for sure. I think I'm lucky enough to not have been in many of those situations. However... Being good at asserting my boundaries is also a new skill for me. So mm -hmm. we're getting there, which is why I have the long archive of like, oh, plenty of times I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I had this one friend who I set a boundary with her that I did not want to hear about a particular relationship she was in for reasons that are honestly too complicated to get into. But it was bothersome for me to hear about it. It was upsetting. Um and what she did instead of respecting what I asked her to do was just every time she felt like talking about that relationship, she would be like, I know you don't want to hear about this, but... And then she would just say basically exactly oh the same God. shit she would have said anyway. That's worse. And it, it, yeah, it is because it's disrespectful and it's guilt trippy. Yeah. Uh, I don't really have a, uh, an answer for this, except that like occasionally when I was feeling particularly bold, I would say, you're right. I don't want to hear about that. Next topic. Like, just yeah. move the you're like, correct. That's why I said that. Yeah. yeah. Glad you figured it out. It takes a particular pair of balls to <laughs> just like reassert someone's boundary for them as you're blowing past it. Yep. Oh, it's so gaslighty. I think it's actually surprisingly common. Yeah. 
This is interesting. How can I set boundaries for a partner who is constantly seeking approval? Um, and uh, I resonated with this very much as an anxiously attached person, as, as we've mm -hmm. discussed many times. Um, I have had partners basically say to me in the past, like, when you are seeking approval, like when you are feeling like you need affirmation, like maybe go read, you know, past screenshots of our conversations where I told you how much I adore you or, you know, do your, your various CBT skills to remind yourself of things. And like, I understand them setting that boundary. Like, I definitely also have moments where, like, I don't feel able or willing to reassure someone for an hour. Mm -hmm. um, but also that can come across as really dismissive. Uh, you're, you're avoidantly attached. You deal with this sometimes. <laughs> do, you, do you have any, uh, any sage wisdom on this? I am avoidantly attached. Um, <laughs> well, so the, converse, the time to have this conversation is not when they are asking for reassurance yeah because they're um, in a vulnerable all, squishy place when they exactly. ask for that and and your boundary setting can come across like harsh criticism slash being mean yeah yeah for sure um and also to some extent whenever you say this you may get the hurt puppy eyes yeah. like and that's also a thing that like Presumably, as a person who does not want to be an asshole to the person you're talking to, mm -hmm. you have to also prepare yourself for um, and recognize that, like, as a person who has had the hurt puppy eyes, like, I didn't choose to have them either. Like, <laughs> again, our feelings are reactions to what are happening around us, right? Yeah. Um, so, like, recognize that this conversation is going to bring up feelings in them. Mm -hmm. um however we're having the conversation so we can both learn to get past them um and then i think it's helpful to discuss what kind of things they i'm struggling to find a word i feel comfortable using here uh, i'm gonna go with stability mm -hmm. but when they are feeling just in a more comfortable headspace right mm -hmm. um when they're not feeling really acutely anxious about something mm -hmm. um what feels like a reasonable amount of reassurance to them right mm -hmm. what are they what do they want out of their relationships what do they think is um like comfortable right because we all reassure each other at least a little bit mm -hmm. um and what are they comfortable with in those moments and what how can you agree to like just make this kind of reassurance a part of your relationship and a thing that happens regularly and is there you know a way that they can ping you occasionally and be like oh today's a rough day i need a little bit more mm -hmm. and also have these other sources they can fall back on mm -hmm. right um and if you've had these conversations again when they're not real feeling this particularly acutely um I imagine you may also be able to look back and, like, remember, ah, right, we talked about this, and if they are busy in these moments, these are the things they're going to say, and these are my other tools that I can fall back on. Um, and you know you have that there, rather than, you're, you know, 
you're kind of you're executing a plan you've already made rather than mm-hmm. coming up with new decisions and feeling like they have decided in that moment to reject you rather than following the th- flow chart and going well <laughs> I am too busy for this like we talked about so I'm going to do the thing that I do when I'm too busy or drained for this like we talked about mm-hmm. yeah I think that's really smart this type of insecurity can feel like a bottomless pit and it kind of can be one like there there are definitely people I've dated who were like not good enough at reassuring me in the way like the very particular ways that I needed to be reassured so that like I would ask them for it and they would sort of half-heartedly give it or like fully heartedly give it but it just wasn't in a way that clicked for me and I still felt like I needed more Mm-hmm. Um, so like one thing that's been helpful for me with me and my partner, um, is they've like set up multiple sort of like resources that I know I can refer to when I'm having these moments, especially with, like when they're not available. So like, I do have like a folder of screenshots that's called, I am loved. That's just like really lovey dovey text screenshots. Uh, and also I have like a book of love letters that they've written for me and I have like all these blog posts I've written about like how much they love me and stuff. So there's really concrete things, and I think that this is the kind of thing that you can collaborate with an, uh, with your partner on um, mm-hmm. to figure out, like, what might be helpful in this regard and create resources that they can turn to so that they don't always have to turn to you for this. Yeah, I love that. I feel like you probably have experience with something like this. Um, this person is wondering, how do I navigate post-threesome cuddling and other aftercare with a long-term partner and a third-party play partner? And this is an interesting situation because, like, probably your your aftercare protocol with your more steady partner is, like, established and you both know the score, whereas the other person might not necessarily. And also there's the consideration of, like, is the other person going to feel left out if you're doing your cuddly aftercare things? Um, or is, like, is it going to feel weird for you to cuddle with this person because you're not emotionally close to them? Like, you know, there's so many moving pieces here. So I'm wondering if you have advice on how to navigate this. Yeah, I mean, I think if kink is involved, um, it's really, really easy to have the aftercare conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. I think if you're just meeting up for, like, sexy times and a threesome, that may feel like it comes a little less naturally. Um, Mm -hmm. either way, I would negotiate it with your longer term partner, uh, in advance, just kind of have a conversation to be like, what is on the table for both of us? Do Mm -hmm. we both feel comfortable cuddling this person if they are down or do we not? If we're both cuddling this person, who wants to be in the middle? Like, does one of us overheat? Are we taking turns? (laughs) Um... We talked um, about this when we had a th- when we had our first threesome, I think, or our second threesome. Like, who wanted to be in the middle if we cuddled all night? And I was like, <laughs> I do. I'm the anxiously attached attention hog. I must be in the middle. <laughs> and and I want like, too much testosterone. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I would discuss it with your longer term partner. Because if you already have, like, the background information in your head of what they're... Um, at least what you're both thinking, right? Uh, what you're both open to and what are hard no's, it's going to be a little bit easier to like negotiate in the moment because you can kind of ad- advocate for each other. Um, because again, we, we've talked a lot about that kind of rapport that you have with a, a longer term partner, where like if you've talked about it in the car and they give you that look, that look can mean several sentences they said earlier. You, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. I think the answer is uh, is definitely like talk about it in advance. I don't think that there is like a great other way to do it, honestly. Um, and not everybody, you know, thinks about these things in depth <clears throat> before you do them. So if you are the sex nerdy person, which I assume you are because you listen to the Dildorks, like maybe it's your responsibility to bring this up if it's something that you're worried about. Um, and, uh, just got it sorted in advance. Cause that feels better than being in the moment and being like, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to ask you to cuddle with me. I don't know if you want to cuddle with me. It's kind of a weird sitch. I would also advocate for creating a little bit of, I, I mean, I don't know the logistics, right? If your long-term partner is also your nesting partner or, or how that works. I would leave a little bit of buffer on either end of the visit of time with your long-term partner i find that helpful to just kind of recenter for any mm -hmm. anytime i'm hanging out with more than you know just one other person like anytime my partner and i go to a group thing i hate saying goodbye to them and the group at the same time and mm -hmm. the same thing is true for threesomes it's just weird feeling like hello <laughs> anyway that was gonna get weird <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. That's the yeah. kind of thing that, like, you have to pay attention to your own patterns and figure it out. But I'm the same. I, I notice also I, I can't say goodbye to my partner in a crowded public area because I'll just feel miserable afterward. I need a private moment alone with them at least to process things and say a proper goodbye. Yeah. All right, we got we to gotta wrap up here because, Bex, you have a... Uh, Tess uh, meeting to get to. Yes, Very fancy, I do. Kinky, in demand person. Um, so, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Dildorks. I have been Kate Sloan. I have a sex blog at girlyjuice.net. I also write a newsletter at katesloan.substack.com. Uh, the most recent one was about why are all my Sims queer? Been really into the Sims during quarantine, and um, they're very queer. There's a lot of all the Sims are inherently bisexual, which is a thing I love about that franchise. Um, I also uh, am on Twitter and Instagram at girly underscore juice. And uh, when this episode comes out within the next couple of days, at some point, there's going to be a podcast coming out that I guessed it on. That's about comic books. And the show is called The Man Thing Minute. And me and my friend Brent went on the show to talk about the comic book Man Thing, um, which does sound like a genital euphemism and we did of course talk about that so check it out <laughs> where's your stuff i'm bex you can find all my writing at bextalksex.com and i'm on twitter and instagram at bextalksex together we're the dildorks we're on twitter and instagram at the dildorks and at the dildorks.com you can also find us by searching the dildorks in your favorite podcast app Thank you so much to Protodome. He did our theme song. Thank you to Amy. She did our logo. And thank you to you for listening. Until next time, folks, get out there and live your sexy, dorky life. Bye. Let's do a countdown when you're ready. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Disco. <laughs> um, oh my god, the disco episode of You're Wrong About is so good. Can't oh, I haven't wait. listened to it yet. I was just <gasps> listening to Princess Diana last night. They're so oh, good. that one's good too. I didn't realize I was Princess Diana until the first <laughs> one of that. <laughs> 
And I, I just sent text to Nash that was like, oh, I guess I'm Princess Diana. I just found out. And they were like, what? And I was like, nah, you'll find out. <laughs> I, sorry, you, if you still had a thing, you can go. I, I actually don't know if okay. I have anything else to say. Um, Because I started and then realized I knew what I wanted to say, but not how I wanted to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, As is so often the way on this show. I yep. have that problem every time I speak. <laughs> yep.